Well, again, happy March. Again, it's, it's beautiful to see that the sun is shining, that the snow is gone during first service. When I mentioned that, we got a loud amen from uh, Marianne Krell. And so those of you who know her, she, uh, she will highlight any blessing that the Lord wants to give us. And having nicer weather is certainly a, a great blessing. And so what's crazy to me, though, is the fact that we are just four weeks removed from Easter. Isn't that crazy? It's like we're already in March. Easter is four weeks away, which means spring is almost here, and I love that. Um, And because of how Easter is almost here, you know who is really, really excited about that? Our worship leader, Patrick. Okay, and here's why. It means his favorite jelly beans are about to be in stock, okay? He loves the Starburst jelly beans, but I found out after first service his favorite jelly beans are actually the sweet tart jelly beans. And so if you're out and about and you happen to see like big bags of sweet tart jelly beans, think of Patrick. Think of Patrick. I'm sure he would very much enjoy that. Speaking of Easter, as I was prepping the message this week, I was reminded of a uh, pastor that I listened to telling a story about how his four-year-old and Uh, Well, his whole family was out for a walk, but his four-year-old, while they're out on this stroll, his four-year-old son just kind of yanked on his arm and said, Dad, and this is the week or the the days actually leading up to Easter that year, he goes, Dad, did you know that on Easter, God rose Jesus from the dead? And so this pastor is thinking to himself, oh, Father of the year, right here. My son understands. He's theologically sound. He knows his doctrine. He's smarter than other four-year-olds when it comes to the issues of the Bible. And so his pride began to to build up, not so much in his son, but in himself, like in in his ability to to pastor uh, his child uh, in particular. And so just trying to be a a good father and engage his son, he looked at his four-year-old and he said, that's right, son. And what does that mean that God rose Jesus from the dead? And now, in his mind, he's thinking that his four-year-old is going to respond with an answer, something along the lines of, well, Dad, it just so happens that Christ's substitutionary atonement and his imputed righteousness to us gives us a upright, you know, and it didn't go anything like that at all. In fact, this, this pastor talks about how he just watched the look on his son's face go from just kind of like this pensive stare to all of a sudden like this widening of the eyes and this excitement on his face as he goes, what happens? What What does that mean that God raised Jesus from? It means that Easter bunny brings me candy. (laughs) And so that pastor popped, that that bubble uh, popped really, really quickly. But what I want to do this morning is I want us to take a few minutes and examine a little bit more closely what exactly this perfect act of love did for us. I mean, we already know that Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. Scripture tells us that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And this reality is something that gives us a perfect and upright standing before a perfect and holy Father. We know that 
because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that eternity, the way that eternity shapes for those of us who are in Christ, the way that looks is we get to spend eternity in the presence of the Holy Trinity that completely embodies everything that is good and just and right. That's the eternity we get to look forward to. And when we recognize that this really was the ultimate act of love, and it just it hits us that this is just absolutely amazing. And when we really get it, it's the most overwhelming sensation and feeling in the world. But see, here's the thing. This love is so great, it doesn't just like stop the moment we receive Christ. This is something, this is a love that continues on in us for eternity going forward. Just as Billy Graham is experiencing that right now. Amen? The moment you are in Christ, you get to experience his love for eternity. It doesn't stop. Now, we all look forward to that day, maybe not too soon, but we look forward to that day when we see it in its fullness. And when he comes and he establishes heaven here on earth. But in the meantime, what does that mean for us? Because I think a lot of times we tend to impact the love of God in our lives because of how in this day and age, in this culture in which we live, we tend to believe that we are loved or not loved based on our feelings. We, we often hear people make statements like, oh, I don't feel the love of God right now, or I do feel the love of God, or I feel like God is far away, or no, I feel like God is very close. And so we tend to oftentimes kind of um, exaggerate the impact of God's love in our lives based on this emotion. And so I want to ask the question, what if God's love is not foundationally this effectual like emotion that we experience, okay? Now, for those of you who have, have heard me teach before, um, some of you are going to be kind of wondering in your mind, all right, Scott, here you are, you're asking us to try and get beyond emotion. What if God's love is not simply an emotion, but dude, you are the one that cries through 40% of your message every time you get up to teach, are you sure you're the, per, the, the, the right person to like actually talk to us about getting beyond the emotions of, of God's love, to which I would have to respond? Touche. Okay. So, but in, in all honesty, though, like what if the love of God, though, really is less about something we personally experience, and it becomes more so a reality in which we live? So here's what I mean. What if the depths of God's love for his children go far beyond just how he answers prayer, far beyond how he restores relationships, far beyond how he brings wayward children home? What if the depths of God's love go far, far deeper than that? I think all of us here are, are familiar with the iceberg concept and how when we see icebergs or pictures of icebergs floating out in the middle of the ocean, we only see the top 10 to 15% that is above the surface of the water. It's the other 90 to 85% that is beneath the water. And I think that there is so much more. There is an 
infinite amount of love and grace that we can experience here, even in this lifetime. We will never exhaust the grace and love of God. But I think a lot of us are also very, very comfortable with just camping out on that top 10 to 15% that is above the surface. And as a result, we miss out on so much more that God has to offer us here in this particular lifetime while we are breathing air on earth. And so this morning, I want to use the scriptures. Um, Most of them are probably scriptures that we're already familiar with to just kind of give us a, a, a new lens to understand some of these truths where if they actually, if these truths become more of our mindset and we allow them to become more the core of who we are from the inside out, it would change everything about us. It would change everything about us. And so today's teaching is titled The Ultimate Reality. The Ultimate Reality. And I have just four points that I'm going to make. Not getting deep today. (laughs) Just four points. The first point I want to make comes from Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. And it reads like this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Point number one, we have got to understand that who we are fundamentally as followers of Jesus Christ is adopted sons and daughters. This is an amazing reality. And I I know many people who have adopted. There are a number of families here at this church who have adopted. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so the details and the the specifics behind why different families adopt may vary from family to family, but here's one thing that I found, or two things that I have found that every family who adopts has in common. Number one, they have this buildup of love that they feel a need to continue to express and to show. And second, they recognize the fact that their family as it is does not feel complete. And that is why God adopted us. He had so much love to give, so much love to show. He didn't need us. But boy, he, he wanted us. A really good friend of mine, he, he and his wife adopted their three kids. And, and, and I remember him saying to me once that um, his, his kids would never be able to say with any type of credibility that they were never loved or wanted. Because all he would have to do is take them into his home office, pull out a manila folder, probably at least this thick of documentation, probably multiple folders that thick, and just sit down with them and say, hmm, we spent six hours filling out this first form here just so that we could get you. 
and then goes through page after page, shows them the financial receipts. This is the amount of time, and this is the amount of money we put into making sure you could be brought into our family. And you know what? We'd do it again because you were worth it. The cross is our reminder that we can never actually, with any type of credibility, say that we were never loved and that we were never wanted. That's our reminder. This is deeper than simply emotion. It hits at the core of who we are. We are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. And even on those days where we don't feel loved, it doesn't negate the fact that we are much more deeply than we could imagine. One of the beautiful things about this fact that we were wanted and that we are loved as we are adopted is it means we don't have to perform. We don't have to earn the love of God. We don't have to earn something that we already have. I mean, imagine what it would be like if somebody came and decided that they were going to just pay off the mortgage of your home, and for whatever reason, you still were paying the bank your monthly mortgage fees. It's like, why are you doing this? This has already been paid for. You don't have to earn this back. We completely get rid of the whole performance mentality. The transaction that made this possible for us to be adopted, for us to recognize the fact that we don't have to perform, we don't have to earn the love of God, is the fact that the transaction was made with the blood of Christ. And believing that we still need to prove that we're worthy, in the end, do you really want to know what that means? It means that we don't believe that the cross was enough. We would never say that publicly. But the truth of the matter is, that's what our heart tells us, if that's what we're believing. Point number two. I want to go to Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Paul writes this to the Roman church. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or we're being persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day and we are being slaughtered like sheep. But no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Point number two, his love is inescapable. His love is completely inescapable. Look, I I, I don't know what seasons of life you may be going through right now. I don't, but please understand this. Uh, Difficulty in life right now 
does not mean that God has forgotten you or has cast you aside. It does not mean that God has forgotten you or cast you aside. And we have Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, both that have examples of people who felt like that, who went through difficult seasons. But the Lord was right there. Now, there are times where we are dealing with the issue of sin. Sometimes it is our own sin, and there are natural consequences that result from that. Sometimes it is the sin of other people committed against us. And yet, God is still able to show up in the midst of that and still bring redemption, still bring healing, still bring wholeness. But for those of you who might just be going through a strange season right now and you're wondering, where is God in in all this? Don't for one second think that he's forgotten you or that he's cast you off. In fact, a year ago in May, Geneva and I had the privilege of uh, teaching. Some of you were probably here for that. But we had the privilege of um, talking about what it is like to be in the midst of a storm and how the Lord shows up. And we were in the middle of kind of like a, a dry season, and so Geneva and I would sometimes sit down with each other and just kind of talk about that season that we were in. And one of the questions we would sometimes ask each other was, are you aware of like any like unconfessed sin in your life? Are, are, are we aware of any type of unrepentant issue? And, and as we prayed about it, we, we couldn't think of anything. And so what happened was the Lord in that season gradually began to change our mindset and help us to see, no, 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 I haven't cast you off. I haven't left you. I'm inviting you deeper. I'm inviting you deeper. A deeper understanding of who I am, a deeper revelation of who I am, a clear picture of what I can do in your life, and I'm going to do it in a way where you're not going to grow the same way as you would if I was going to just make things peachy for you. And he continued to sustain us during that season and continues to sustain us now. Sometimes I wonder, in the midst of trials like this, how often do we stop and think about how much Glory is made of the name of Jesus when we endure seasons that are difficult. Other people are watching. How do we handle these situations? And you want to know what one of the most beautiful thoughts is? The enemy is forced to recognize that he is powerless against us in the long run when we recognize that God's love is inescapable. And we embrace and we rejoice in the fact that he draws us deeper, and he draws us near, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. But the thing is, if this is really going to change us from the inside out, then the inescapable love of God cannot be this cute, trite, cliched theological concept. It has to be a reality in which we live. We can have all sorts of knowledge, and if it's not applied, what good is it? It has to be something that we live in. It has to be a reality, not just a concept. This brings me to my third point. 1 John 14.8 reads this. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. 
If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So when we recognize the fact that we are loved much more deeply than we could imagine by the Lord, when we recognize that we are wanted, that we were adopted into his family, when we live in the reality that his love is inescapable, even when we don't sense it, even when he doesn't seem close, he's still there. Then what happens following this is that we recognize that this love is credible, it is trustworthy, it is perfect, and as a result, this perfect love now casts out fear. What would it be like to live life without fear? And, and, and I don't mean that we live with this mindset of naivete where we deny the fact that there are legitimate issues that need to be dealt with in our life. I'm not saying that we pretend that they don't exist. <laughs> to kind of give a, a lighthearted illustration on that, um, we should not be like that knight from that famous movie where after he has just had his arms and legs hacked off in a sword fight, insists that he's just got a flesh wound. Some of you are getting it, some of you aren't, but that's okay. We don't deny the fact that there is suffering, and we don't deny the fact that there is difficulty. But we don't allow the possibility of what could be in the fear that oftentimes wells up in us as a result of our circumstances to dictate to us our course of action or our mindset. Huge difference. Recognizing that it is a battle to be fought is one thing. Allowing it to control you is completely different. And so perfect love casts out fear. You know who really, really understood this better than most people? It was the Apostle Paul. You couldn't touch this dude. He was fearless. I mean, his life was threatened repeatedly. You know, some people, you know, kind of are like, eh, you know, when you read throughout Scripture, one of the things that we, we read is that Paul's life is threatened. He's like, well, to, guy, to die is gain. I get to go be with Jesus. What are you going to do? You can't touch me. They're like, okay, well, we're not going to kill you because it sounds like that's what you would want, but we're going to put you in prison. And he's like, fair enough, but let me just give you fair warning you put me in prison, I'm going to start singing hymns, and then every prisoner is going to love Jesus, and so are the guards. And so let me just kind of present that to you. I mean, seriously, you couldn't touch this guy. You couldn't. He experienced a freedom that came from living in this ultimate reality. And with this in mind, with this ultimate reality realization, when we understand now that we are adopted because we were wanted, when we understand that um, God's love is inescapable, that we have a, a life that is offered to us absent of fear, well, let's go to Romans 2, 4 before we get to our final and fourth point. It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Point number four, once we experience his love, recognize that it's inescapable, and live without fear, 
This becomes a love, and it means that we develop this hatred for the sin in our life. So point one, we're adopted. Point two, the love of God is inescapable. Point three, his perfect love casts out fear. And point four, we hate the sin in our life. Notice I said we hate the sin in our life, not the sin in other people's lives. We'll never run out of material if we're just going to single out the sin in other people's lives. But we hate the sin in our life. In the moments where I look back at my own relationship with the Lord, one of the things that I've noticed as I like, read through different journals and just as I kind of reflect back on some of those moments is that I became very, very aware of the sin in my life. But you see, here's the thing. I didn't get angry at myself. I didn't become self-condemning in the process. I didn't beat myself up as I recognized there was this sin in my life. But I desired to go to war with it because I didn't want it. And one of the things that's really cool is when you do life with other people and you see that they are going to deeper levels in their walk with the Lord, one of the things that will often come up is they'll tell you, I'm struggling with this. And it, it's almost always, once it gets far, they get far enough along, it's a character issue. And it's something that is oftentimes hidden. It's something that is oftentimes not seen to most people. But they hate the sin that is in them. It's like when David said in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, when he said, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. He didn't beat himself up. We don't hear these condemning words saying, oh, Lord, you made a mistake in choosing me. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm not worthy. Well, we already know we're not worthy except for the fact that Christ makes us worthy, but we don't beat ourselves up over our sin failures. We go back to the cross and we recognize, Father, I lay this before you. And it's because of your love for me that I will press into you and pursue you with every fiber of my being. This is our ultimate reality. What if we lived and acted in a way where we were willing to put to death anything that could even possibly compete with our affections for Jesus? John Wesley is reported to have once asked his mother, what is sin? And her response is the greatest definition I've ever read, better than any theologian that I've ever read who gave a definition of sin. She said, whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself." How would this mindset, how would this reality impact our ability to love others? What kind of reactions would unbelievers have with followers of Jesus Christ if this, what we've just talked about today, if this reality was at the core of who we are? Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. So he didn't come so that we could just camp out 
on that top 10% of the iceberg that's above the surface of the water. He invites us to plunge deeper. To give just a, a, a present-day illustration, next month, Geneva and I will have celebrated, we, or we will celebrate, five years of marriage. Woohoo! I like it. <laughs> and so it's, it's been a good five years, lots of amazing memories. We, we've got little Jace in the, in the nursery. We, we love him. But what if... My relationship with Geneve, the depth of my relationship with Geneve, stopped on April 6th of 2013. I didn't bother to get to know her. It's like, mm, we've been dating two and a half years. I think all that I need to know about you, I've learned. I mean, seriously, wouldn't that be tragic? Oh, thankfully, she's like, yes. <laughs> And so we invest ourselves into one another. That's what a covenant relationship does. And I'm looking forward to another 75 years, babe. I'm just scratching the surface. But that's how our relationship with the Lord is supposed to be. We will never exhaust the depths and riches and the love of Christ. C.S. Lewis said this in his book, The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily. The Lord Jesus beckons us. Salvation is awesome. We get to spend eternity with God. But while we're here, let's go deeper. Let's see what God has in store for us. I mean, there, there, there's no doubt that the death and resurrection are foundationally the single most important events, not just in our faith, but I'll argue the history of the world. But it's the outworking of how we magnify the name of Jesus to others that proves that his love is credible. We're going to take communion in just a, a moment. And so if you don't have the sacraments, um, would you please raise your hand and the ushers will make sure that you receive them. Now here at The Rock, we celebrate communion in what is known, with what is known as an open table, which means that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you are welcome to partake in the receiving of the bread and the juice with us this morning. doesn't matter if you're a, you're a guest or a visitor. You are welcome if you're already a follower of Christ. If you are not a follower of Christ, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your sin bearer in just a moment. Would you stand up with me, please? Before we do it, I want to give anybody here who may not yet have received Christ or does not yet know Christ as their sin bearer to receive him. And so would you all just bow your heads and, and close your eyes and just everybody re repeat after me as I pray. Father God, 
thank you for loving me. I make you Lord of my life today and forever. I want to live in the reality of your love. Forgive me of the sin in my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to cover me and give me right standing with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take the bread and the juice? The historian Luke, in his gospel account, as he was telling us about the Last Supper, writes this. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ is broken for us. Take. Then after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. The blood of Christ that washes us clean of all sin. Drink. The broken body and the blood. Give us righteous standing before a holy God. And as we leave today, can we keep fresh in our minds and our hearts that we are called to this new ultimate reality where we go deeper in our walk with the Lord because we recognize that His love caused him to adopt us. His love is inescapable. It casts out fear. And it beckons us closer as we go to war with the sin that is in us. Amen.